The text for this morning's service is Psalm 134, which we just read together. After the sermon, we will respond by singing from Psalm 34, the stanzas 1, 2, and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, Psalm 134 is a well-known psalm. We sing it frequently, especially at special occasions. We usually sing it at the ordination of office bearers or at the public profession of faith. And we use it especially as a song of introduction to prayer of a blessing before and after the prayer at a wedding ceremony, as was done, for example, again past Friday. We use it as a song of blessing for those who are about to enter a new phase in life or embark on a new task. Seeing that we use it as frequently as we do, it is good for us to understand what this psalm is all about. It is a psalm full of significance, and it is full of significance also for us today. It is a jubilant psalm of praise about the joyful service of the Lord. And that is also the theme of this sermon. That is the central thought of this psalm. And then we will see that it is about three things. About a God who never sleeps. About a worship that never ends. And about a blessing that never stops. The title of this psalm tells us that it is a song of ascents. What does that mean? A modern translation states that it is a psalm for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem. Another one says that it is a song for those who go up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. Some of the older translations have, again, different renditions. They call it a psalm of degrees or a psalm of steps. From these variations, it is clear that there is no absolute certainty as to what the title of this psalm really means exactly. The word in the original language means going up. It could mean, as Calvin suggests, that it refers to musical notes. According to Calvin, the title refers to the fact that these songs were to be sung on a higher key than the other psalms. Others state that the title refers to the stairs leading to the temple and was sung by the temple choir as they went into the temple. Most commentators, however, dismiss those ideas. For you see, in the first place, as also Calvin admits, these are mere conjectures. Furthermore, Psalm 134 is the last psalm of a collection of psalms beginning at Psalm 120. All these 14 psalms have the same title. And therefore they all should also have something in common common that would explain the title. But that is not the case with those explanations. There are only two explanations that would make sense. One of them, which is the more popular explanation, is that these psalms were sung as the people went up to Jerusalem to celebrate the various great feasts during the year. For Jerusalem was located on Mount Zion. And so the people would all have to come up to that city. It would be a yearly pilgrimage 
which the Israelites would undertake as they traveled in large group from all over the countryside. As they made their way to Jerusalem, they would sing from that collection of songs. And indeed, that is plausible. Another explanation, and that's the one I prefer, is that this collection of psalms was compiled just before the end of the exile and were sung as the people went back up to Jerusalem from exile. And these headings would then have been added, would have been added just at the end of the exile. They expressed what they were going through as the exile came to an end and they were allowed to return to Jerusalem. There is one difficulty with that explanation, and that is that in some of the headings, the songs are attributed to David or Solomon. They lived hundreds of years before the exile, and so they could not have been written at the time of the exile. However, that does not mean that these psalms could not be included in this collection. They do not necessarily have to have been written at the time of the exile, but could well have been made part of this collection of psalms at that time. For the contents of the psalms most closely resemble the circumstances just before and after the exile. The first three songs of this collection address their worries and needs while they're still in Babylonia as they prepare for the exile. The next four psalms describe their fears and expectations and hopes as they make their way back to the promised land. And the last four songs apply to the situation as they entered Canaan. And when you examine the content of these psalms, that makes sense. And then Psalm 134 would be the culmination. Finally, they're in the temple. The exiles have just finished building the temple. The temple service has begun again. By now, the returnees have settled into their homes in and around Jerusalem and other parts of the country. Now, at last, they can go to the temple again. During the time of the exile, that was not possible. The temple had been destroyed. They were no longer able or allowed to go there. And how they missed that during that time. For it is especially in the temple of God that he makes his presence known. That is where you can experience the forgiveness of sins and the fellowship with God and his people. That is where you can experience where everything is well between God and you. And now this psalm describes the time when the temple service is almost over. It is night. And this is the Israelites' last visit to the temple before they return back to their homes. And the priests are about to make their evening sacrifices. Soon it will be dark in the city. The lamps are about to be lit in the temple, for the sacrifices need to be seen. And that is why they begin by stating, Behold, we do not find that little word in the NIV, unfortunate. But other translations, such as the King James versions, do. You could also translate it as look or see. And that is what the Israelites in the temple are saying to the servants of the Lord. They want their priestly activities to be visible. 
for soon they are going to go back to their homes. And for many of them, it may be quite some time again before they can return to the temple. And they want to be able to take that visible image of the priests serving in the temple with them. With the earthly temple, the Lord gives us a visible image of what heaven is like while they still live on earth. And therefore, the temple was so important to the Israelites. It paints a picture of God's dwelling and it symbolizes what goes on there. According to 1 Chronicles 9 verse 33, the temple would never be shut down, just like heaven. It was open day and night, 24 hours, 7 days a week. And each night there would be at least 28 people working in the temple, consisting of 24 Levites, three priests, and one captain of the guard. These servants would make sure that everything was in order for the next day's sacrifices. They also kept the temple undefiled by making sure that nothing unclean would get by the gatekeepers. And furthermore, they had to protect the temple from intruders and from anything dangerous. The temple represents God's dwelling, as I said. It represents where God lives in heaven. And it also symbolizes what God does in heaven. And he is always working without stopping to rest. When Elijah stood on Mount Carmel, urging the priests of Baal to call upon their God to bring fire from heaven... Elijah ridiculed them and said that perhaps their God is resting or sleeping. Listen to what he said in 1 Kings 18 verse 27. He said to those priests of Baal, shout louder. Surely he's a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. Elijah wanted to demonstrate how impotent those gods are. They are weak, they need to rest, and their attention is easily drawn to other things. They are limited in what they can do. Actually, they can't do anything, for they don't even exist. For you see, it cannot be otherwise. Those gods were only the figment of their own imagination. And therefore, those gods had human qualities. But, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that is not the kind of God we have. For our God is not a God of our imagination. He exists, He is real, He acts, He is powerful. And that's what we could sing about earlier when we sang from Psalm 121. In accordance with the words of that psalm, He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord God gives us opportunities for rest and gives us peace so that we can sleep. But the Lord our God is always awake. He continually stands in guard over his people and watches over them. 
That's also what he tells us in Psalm 121, verse 1 and 2, where he says, Unless the Lord watches over the city, which he does all the time, the watchmen stand guard in vain, for he grants sleep to those he loves. That's because he watches over us. And so those people in the temple, they wanted to see the priests at work. They needed to be reminded that the work in the temple was always going on. When they were still in exile, they longed to have the temple service reinstated. Well, that is now the case. It has happened. During the time in exile, they wondered whether or not God would continue to be angry at at them. They wondered whether or not God has rejected them and whether or not he would leave them in their miserable circumstances. Now that the temple service has been restored, they know that that is not so. God is still with them. Day and night he watches over them. What a great joy for those exiles, those former exiles to know that. How true that is for us as well, brothers and sisters. It includes you boys and girls. Oh sure, we don't have the temple in our midst any longer. We don't need it. The temple and everything to do with it has been done away with it. And you know why that is, don't you? It is because the Lord Jesus Christ has fulfilled the temple service. The sacrifices and all the ceremonies of the law in the Old Testament, they all pointed to his coming. And the great joy, and that is the great joy for us as New Testament believers. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, is jubilant about this in various passages, as are the other authors of the New Testament. Let me just quote you one text from Paul, where he says in Romans 8, verse 34, Who is he that condemns Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, and here it comes, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. As we are reminded in the book of, in the letter of Hebrews, the Lord Jesus Christ is now our high priest who continually intercedes for us. He too is always at work. He does not rest. He is at work also when you are asleep or when you have lapses of memory and forget about him. He is our God also when we become senile or suffer from Alzheimer's. He watches over us all the time. He has such a great mind that he is able to know everything that goes on here on earth. There is not a creature, there is absolutely nothing that escapes his attention. And he always has his eyes on us. The Old Testament believer who returned from the exile was jubilant about the fact that they may may go to the house of God and know that in spite of their sins, they are still the apple of God's eye and that the Almighty God wants to dwell with them. What a miracle! How great! It is no wonder that they praise him and that they urge those priests to praise him. 
They want to see those priests in action. It is a delight to their eyes. They want to see them in action so that they can take that image home with them. And in this way they can remember that there are always priests and Levites bringing worship to the Lord God on their behalf. And they know that the continual worship is necessary. We come to the second point. The word praise or bless is used three times in this very small psalm. In each verse the same word is used. But you would not think so from the translations. It says in verse 1, praise the Lord. But as the same word that is used in verse 3 where it says, may the Lord bless you from Zion. The word bless there is the same word as the word praise. Two different words in the English language, yet one word in the Hebrew language. And that is because the Hebrew word has such a rich content. It means that they want the priest to give honor to the Lord God by the way that they minister in the temple. That is how you bless or praise God. They want them to show their thankfulness to him by their actions. That's how you show blessings to God. You bless him, in other words, through faithful service. All those elements are incorporated into that one word, Barach. It is in that way that we too must praise God. And that's the way it is, first of all, for those who have the special office in the church as elder or deacon or minister. By their actions and words, they too have to praise God. They must bring honor to his name in the way that they minister, in the way that they conduct themselves, in the things they say and do as they minister to God's people. But you, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, you are also priests. We all are. Even though you may not have the special office. Through faith, you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be prophets, priests, and kings. All of us must bless the Lord God through our actions as well. It is through our own words and actions that we have to bless God. This psalm shows the harmonious unity between the priests and the Israelites. The people urge the priests on to faithful service and vice versa. The Israelites want the servants of the Lord to praise the Lord God in the way that they conduct themselves in their offices. The people need faithful servants. In the Old Testament, the priest was the intermediator. The intermediary. The mediator between God and man. He stood between God and the people. And he made sacrifices on their behalf. And because of their special service, they were connected to God in a special way. And to the people. And so it was a two-way street. They would urge one another on. The people would pray for the priests and the priests would pray for the people. The office bearers in this church have also been chosen to minister to God's people. They must pray for them and serve them in many other ways so that the people will also live to the praise of God's name. The elders and the deacons take the burdens of those in their charge upon their shoulders and bring them to the Lord. 
and also help the people to do that themselves. We need faithful office bearers. And thankfully the Lord God has given them to us. Oh sure they're not perfect. Far from it. But the same thing was true of the priests. They were not perfect either. They were just as sinful as the people themselves. And therefore they had to purify themselves and make sacrifices for themselves first before they could serve in the temple and intermediate or mediate between the people. They had to remain humble. And the same thing is true today. The office bearers are just as sinful as the rest of God's people. They also need to humble themselves all the time before God and their fellow man. They have to want to live in closeness to God. And so they ask the Lord for forgiveness and for guidance and for the Holy Spirit for themselves. But the office bearers also need the prayers of the people. They need to be carried by the prayers of the members of the congregation. Brothers and sisters, do you do that as well? Do you regularly pray for the elders, for the deacons, for your ward elder? Do you also pray for the minister of this congregation? Or are your prayers routine? Do you use well-worn phrases? And what about your church going? Is it only because out of habit that you attend church? Are you glad to be a child of God? I'm asking all of you, including you young people and teenagers and young children, are you glad that you can come to church every Sunday? Or do you look up against it? Before the exile, that is before the Israelites were punished to, made, to be made to dwell in foreign countries, they had taken the temple service for granted. They just went through the motions. They just followed a certain routine. And so did the priests. The service of the Lord lost its significance. And that is why they were punished in the exile. But when the Lord God allowed them to return and made it possible for them to, re to rebuild the temple, then these people, they were overjoyed. And then they no longer took it for granted. They were now eager to hear that God, in spite of everything, still loved them. And they were joyful. They were exuberant about this. Now, how do you think they serve them? Well, they serve him now from the heart. They are so glad that God has forgiven them their sins and that they may belong to God's people. Are you glad about that? Why do you come here? Is it also routine for you? And that's okay if it is routine. But it's got to be a matter of the heart. Do you know what a blessing it is that God has made you and me part of his people? And that you may gather together here every Sunday, twice even. For you also need to know and be reminded time and again that all is well between you and God. Think about the kinds of things that go on in your life. Think about 
some of the things you have done in this past week. All the wrong things. You and I have piled sin upon sin, haven't we? And you young children, think about that as well. Think about the fights that you had with your brother or your sister. Or when you were disrespectful to your father or mother. Or think about the things you do in secret when you thought, nobody's looking. And what about you teenagers? What are the kinds of things you have been doing in this past week? You have to admit that there were many things that were wrong. Things that God is not pleased with. And what about for us all ages? The young people, the middle-aged, and the elderly as well. There is no end to our sin. And the Lord God wants us to think about that so that we may also realize how wonderful it is that God also wants to be near you and me. And even dwell with us. For now we are temples, temples of the Holy Spirit. And that is not something that we have done. It is something that God has done. The Lord God has come into your heart with his word and with his spirit. Isn't that something? I don't want you to think about your sin so that you can be depressed about it. Not at all. I want to mention them so that you may realize what a wonderful God you have. That he is a God who never sleeps. And that he always watches over you. He does that not so that he can catch you in his sin. Uh oh, I saw that. No, he does that so that he can protect you. So that he can bring you back. He keeps his eye on you. Do you know why you were created? Do you know why you are on this earth? You were created for worship. You were not created to play with toys. Not that there's something wrong with that. Or to indulge yourself in all kinds of things. It's true we can enjoy ourselves. The Lord wants us to do that. But that's only peripheral. That's emptiness in the end. If that's all you think about. You have to realize that everything we are and do must flow out of our worship, also our recreation. And that is what we do together as church. We worship God with our hearts and with our minds and with our voices and with our hands. That is why also during a worship service the whole congregation is involved in the worship service. And you do that by carefully listening to the preaching. The preaching is meant to bring glory to God's name. To remind you about the wonderful things that the Lord God has done and that he will do. To remind you that he is the one who made everything. He made you and me. And that's why it says in verse 3 that... He is the Lord and maker of heaven and earth. He made it all. He made you and me as well. And all creation is here for his glory. And yet there is so much for us to discover yet on this earth, O Lord. 
there's so much for us to rediscover. And there are so many things on this earth and under the earth and above the earth that we have never seen. Think about the life in the, in the oceans. There are creatures there that have never yet been discovered. And God made also those creatures for his glory and for us to discover so that we can praise him. And think about the money wonders and miracles of creation. Scientists have uncovered a lot, no doubt. But they have only scratched the surface. We have to acknowledge God's greatness by praising him in all we do and especially in our prayers. The psalm says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary. And that refers to prayer. That's how the Old Testament believers call upon the name of the Lord. And there is something beautiful about that, isn't there? In this way, you are reaching out to heaven from where you expect all things. For that is where God dwells. For he does not dwell in the temple as such, but in heaven. The Old Testament believer also realized that. And so that is why also in the temple they reached up to him as they prayed. That is from where all blessings flow. And those blessings have never stopped. We come to the third point. In verse 3, the priests ask, May, in verse 3, the priests speak, and they state, May the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, bless you from Zion. That's the highlight of the temple service. The priests do not express a wish here. It's a statement. And that is better reflected in the wording of the New King James Version, which says, The Lord who made heaven and earth bless you from Zion. Now the merciful power of God is handed out to them. And they can go on in his strength. No matter what happens to them as they make their way home in the countryside, and during the rest of the time before they can return to the temple, the Lord God will endow them with his mercy and goodness and strength. God's blessings equip them for worship and for service. And now they have been given the ability to serve the Lord their God in their homes and the ability to also live according to his commandments. God's blessing permeates their lives, their whole lives. And that is what this psalm expresses. And therefore it is also a good psalm to sing to those who are about to enter into their office or, or enter into their married state. Of course it is not so that God blesses you no matter what. Uh, not, uh, not either if you go into a new phase of life. It's not an automatic thing. The Lord only blesses those who want to live according to God's covenant. And who want to be part of his covenant. He blesses those who also seek his presence. He blesses those who want to be close to him. Blessing comes from Zion. <clears throat> that is, blessing comes from the temple. Once they go back to their homes... Then they will have to deal with all the difficulties that life can bring. They have to deal with the evil that surrounds them. But then they can be reminded of God's blessings upon them. Those blessings pronounced by the priests at the end 
of the service. For you see, nothing can stop God's blessing. Not even the devil. At the end of each worship service, you also receive God's blessing. For us, that should also be the highlight of the worship service. For you have just heard about God's greatness and goodness and mercy. You have sung praises to his name. You have listened to the preaching and brought your financial offerings to the poor and in the needy. And then in the end, just before you go home, God pronounces his blessing upon you. It is a very important part of the worship service. Let also that not become routine, brothers and sisters. That's not a time to start looking for your Bibles and your songbooks and to think about other things. It's not a time to be anxious to be done with the worship service. It's not a time either for the ladies to leave and get the coffee ready. No, it is one of the most significant parts of the worship service. God is giving you his blessing through his servant. That is wonderful. He gives that blessing to you through his servant so that you can take that blessing home with you. And those blessings are given in the name of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is important. You need God's blessing. At the very end of the gospel according to Luke in chapter 24 verse 50 and 51. We read about the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says that he, that he ascended on high and that he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And that while he was blessing them, he was taken up into heaven. Those blessings never stop. The Lord Jesus kept his hands stretched out as he ascended into heaven and those hands beloved are still stretched out for he continues to shower his blessings upon you we can carry that blessing with us during the week in our homes as we travel as we go to work and as we do our daily task God's blessing keeps us going through life until we appear before God where he dwells in heaven. May the Lord also bless you in this life and into eternity. Amen.